podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're all in it together. We're all in the same boat. Those are the words of Tottenham man of the match, Lucas Mora, following Spurs' 2-0 win at Villa Park, courtesy of goals from Carlos Vinicius and Harry Kane. Today, I'm joined by Brian from Tottenham Away, HG from the Cheese Room podcast, and Fenn from Everything Football to dissect Tottenham's victory and look at the mentality of the fan base going into this international break. I'm Matt Hayes, and you're listening to the Tottenham Fan Voice podcast. Hello and welcome back to Matt Hayes Tottenham blog and to another episode of the Tottenham Fan Voice podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we did one of these uh, after a Spurs victory, but look, here we are. It's a 2-0 win at Villa Park, a place that we have uh, become accustomed to leaving with all three points. I'm joined by a fantastic panel today to dissect just how Spurs managed to get that uh, that victory. We're going to look at the, as I said in the thumbnail, the brilliance of the likes of Lucas Moura and Carlos Vinicius. Also taking a deeper dive into why Jose Mourinho went with the lineup he did and how it turned out to be uh, a masterstroke from him and looking at everything uh, to do with that game yesterday. But before we do dive into it, let's uh, let's meet our panel. First of all, we got Brian from the Tottenham Away podcast. Brian, absolutely fantastic to have you on today. How are you getting on? I'm getting on fantastic. And as you said, it's always better to come onto these things after three points. Uh, after last Sunday and especially last Thursday, I thought anyone, any, any, anything else, I'm, I'm going to be in so much uh, pain and I'm going to be so furious. But after, after a Tottenham win, the rainbows are out, the sun is shining, birds are singing, and it's great to be on the channel, Matt. So thanks for having me. Yeah, again, thank you uh, for your time. We got Fen from Everything Football as well. Fen, I know we spoke to you after the game yesterday. Uh, we we're going to get a, a bit more analytical, I'd say, tonight. How are you getting on today? Yeah, not too bad, Matt. And thanks for having me on today. And a great panel as well. It is absolutely fantastic panel. I've been to you. Thanks very much for your time as well. And we've got HG uh, from the Cheese Room podcast. How are you getting on this evening? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's it, it's nice to start a week with a win. So um, it, it's almost a shame that we have to wait two weeks now before we play again. But uh, yeah, no, when, when Spurs win, as, as Brian says, everything's good. Absolutely, 100%. And to you as well, uh, HG, thank you so much for your time today. And look, it is it is a weird feeling coming into one of these uh, after a victory. I think, look, we're going to touch on, on the form table a little bit later in this podcast, which I, as we were speaking about just before there, um, it's a weird thing that Tottenham uh, are top of and uh, Shepard here making that point as well. Um, but look, Spurs, there's still talk of the, the dressing room being lost. There's still talk of uh, the, the team kind of falling apart in terms of mentality. We heard uh, Hugo Lloris questioning their togetherness after the game against Dinamo Zagreb. But I want to touch very quickly in these comments from Lucas Mora, who I think everybody could agree was man of the match yesterday. Just to look quickly at some of his stats, um, he had, of course, assisted the first goal. He created four chances, which was the most in the pitch. He had the most touches with 85, most dribbles with eight, most fouls one with six. And it was just uh, an incredibly impressive performance from him, which again, we will touch on in a second. But the comments that he made after the game yesterday, he said, we're all together, we're in the same boat, we lose together and we win together. What happened in Croatia was our fault, everyone included. We believe in the coach because we know his history. We just want to be successful here. Brian, the question I'm going to put to you is, are those comments reflective of the players that were at Villa Park yesterday or is it reflective of the entire squad, do you think? Oh, uh, so I, I, for sure, for sure, the players that were at Villa yesterday, it was a very, very good performance. People that weren't even in the squad, uh, obviously in Croatia, Um but I think it was a blanket statement for the whole squad. Obviously, we know there are some bad eggs there. He's not going to name them. He's not going to come out. And he needed to, to put a bit of silence, uh, put out the flames that Hugo had uh, put, poured Petro over. So uh, I think they're all one club. Like they, uh, Ledley King says, this is my club, my one and only club. It was kind of a bold statement like that. But 
I think we we can uh, paper through the cracks and, and realise who he's talking about. Absolutely, I think we can we can look at Jose's lineup as well, and and you know we heard the what Alistair Gold said yesterday morning how the the lineup would ruffle some feathers, and I, I certainly do think it did that. But Fen Lucas has been utterly sensational since he's moved into that more central role. You know, a player who throughout his entire career with PSG, with Brazil, even when he was back playing league football in Brazil, he played off the right, and that's where he was at his best. Now he struggled to do that at Spurs, but he's gone into the centre, and he's been he's been absolutely incredible. And and I, I was kind of looking at. How Spurs fans, uh, we got that game against Crystal Palace. Was it was a Palace or a game before that where we had that front four of Bale, Son, Ali, and Kane? It's one that we all wanted to see. Does Lucas Mora now have that number ten role ahead of Deli Ali in the kind of the hearts of the Spurs fans? Do you think? I think he certainly does with these past couple of performances. I'm not going to name him in the Arsenal one. We know what happened there, I and mean, we know what happened against Zagreb. But I think, yeah, he's been stunning since he's come in. And what we needed was more contributions from someone through through the centre. And that's what we're getting at the minute. His display yesterday was utterly brilliant and deserved of the man of the match. And he just needs to carry on his form and uh, get get more on the score sheet with Son out at the minute. Yeah, look, that, that is a big concern for Spurs as well with, with summing out. But I, I feel you touched on it there. The consistency is what we need to see from Lucas Moore because he has fantastic performances where he scores three in Amsterdam and then we don't see him for a month. And I feel that has been the kind of the biggest uh, struggle with him. But HG, it's been it's just been incredible that this run that he's had for, for the last month or so. What do you think has, has caused this Lucas Moore revival? Uh, just the fact that he, he's starting a little bit deeper. Um, he likes to come and get the ball a bit deeper and then wants to take players on. We, we haven't seen that. If you look at the team that played yesterday against Villa, he's pretty much the only one in the team that was capable of, of beating someone. I don't see Kane doing it too often. I don't see Vinicius doing it. Lo Celso was pretty anonymous. So you, you were kind of asking Lucas to be that person, to, to commit a defender and to make some chances. So we were lucky that it worked out because you know a better team would have realised that Lucas was, them, was the main threat and would, would have tried to stop it better. But... Uh, yeah, like uh, Lucas is, is one of those players that I don't know. Like you, you know that he's got it in him. We, we we've seen him do it obviously in Amsterdam, but that, can he do it regularly? Where where is his best position? You talked about him being on the right hand side at PSG. I don't think he's played there that much for Spurs. If I'm honest, uh, he started on the left last night. Played on the right when Bergvine came on. I think he looked better down the right. I, I think he's played as a, as a central striker when Pochettino was playing two up top. So, Lucas, I still don't think we've seen the best of him, and and that's surprising. I'm happy that we're seeing you know better of him, but yeah, where do we go from here? What what is the the future of the the formation? What do we want to do? I think that that's going to be really interesting to find out. It absolutely is, and I think it's it's of course good that Jose is experimenting with different things, but I think it's somewhat of a concern that 18 months into his tenure, he is still having to to kind of fiddle around with that formation. Maybe you know we could talk about managers not knowing their best eleven. Maybe he doesn't know the the best way to shape this team, but. Uh, look, you mentioned a front two there, and Brian, I'll throw this one to you. Harry Kane and Carlos Vinicius starting a Premier League game together. Now, it wasn't an, an orthodox front two. We saw Harry Kane popping up uh, in every single quadrant of the pitch, uh, as he so often does. But the lineup yesterday was probably the, the biggest talking point. And again, we touched on the, the Alistair Gold comments. But for you, what do you think it meant that, that Jose Mourinho put out Kane and Vinicius? Do you think it was purely um, a, a tactical thing? Or do you think it was a way to kind of say to the fans, if you think we're parking the bus, I'm going to play two strikers and, and prove you wrong? So I have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, I want to see Vinicius and Kane up front together. Because Vinicius, I, I, we had the stat over here in Canada, and I, I know you got it back home. When you heard he's had nine starts and scored nine goals, but from 12 shots on target, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. The, the, the goal is always in the same place. And to get nine goals from 12 shots on target is a phenomenal uh, conversion rate. And also the thing is with Kane and Vinicius, 
Kane is dropping back, and as we call it over here, the quarterback role. He's here, there, he's everywhere, he's dropping deep. And having that second striker there means that there is a poacher there to fill in the space that he's been leaving. A lot of the times we've been waiting for uh, Sun or Bow or whoever's playing to advance. So having him there is a huge statement. And just because 4-4-2, if we ever go that way, is such a taboo thing right now, there's no law to say you can't play two strikers. And you've got to remember as well, Vinicius started off as a centre-back. And what I was really impressed with Vinicius yesterday was what he added in uh, set pieces for Villa. He was showing his strength, his power. He's added an extra man. And I honestly think I'd like to see a lot. I'd like to see them start permanently for the rest of the season in the Premier League together. I think it's a masterstroke. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. I think Vinicius does offer something that that a few young strikers wouldn't. And it's interesting, interesting you bring up the point about him as a set game as a centre back. So I noticed it at one stage yesterday where Villa, I think it was the second ball off a set piece. It was looped back into the box, and Tyro Mings was looking to get some space in the back post. And Vinicius, you know, most strikers might you know go and attack the ball and try and get rid of it, but he just kind of shielded it out, uh, kind of kept Mings away from from the danger area. And you, like if that had been a Harry Kane or a Lucas Moore, you'd expect them to go and attack the ball, and maybe then it's a it's a more difficult situation to contend with, but. Fen, my biggest concern going into that game yesterday was with the injury of Hoyman's son, where would the, the creative spark kind of come from? Because we know Kane is the is the key orchestrator in that side, but the, the presence of Son and the, the movement of him off the ball is something that often makes things a little bit easier for Harry Kane, and we didn't have that yesterday. Do you think Vinicius could be a, a very effective link-up man there with Kane, or do you think maybe Villa just gave us a bit uh, a bit too much space in the middle of the park where Kane could pull the strings? I think he can be very effective, but I think Villa was the best game for it, personally. I think against other teams, I'm not sure it's going to work too well because we know Villa are strong at the back. And uh, when we want to try and break through the defensive line, I'm not sure Vinicius is going to be the great man, the best man for it. But I'm, I, uh, I love the connection last night. And I think between them two, they did show some great chemistry. And I think that's what we needed. And with him ruffling the feathers in there, you never know. He could come in and start um, after the international break against Newcastle. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's that that the link up play between the two of them. I think is something that really does excite me. And it touched a second ago on how Lucas Moore could be someone who could kind of take Deli Ali's place in the team. But HG Vinicius could be that man as well. You know, Deli Ali, who's been so effective in that kind of number ten role, making late runs in behind the striker, and having that kind of link up with Harry Kane, that is something that Vinicius is is more than capable of doing. And he's a bit more maybe experienced, I suppose, playing in, in a more advanced role with the, the time he spent at Benfica last season. But how important do you think uh, Carlos Vinicius could be if maybe Deli Ali doesn't actually uh, regain his place in that Spurs team? Well, I mean, if he's going to play, then you have to hope that he's going to be important. I, look, I, I still think that Deli and Kane, having played together for, for a number of years now, if they were the front two, there would be a better partnership. I think Kane and Vinicius, they, they have things that they can do well together, but they're still learning each other's games. They've barely played with each other. So like, it's interesting, if we are going to go two up top, then it's probably, I would say, we've got a number of options. The Sun can obviously be one of them with Kane. We could play Delhi with Kane. We could play Vinicius with Kane. And it kind of depends on, on who we're playing against. I and mean, we've got Newcastle next. You'd think with Newcastle, it, like, if Sun's fit again, which he may well be, then it will be Sun and Kane up top if we go, if we go for four four two, I think that would be the best option. I, I think that with, with the with the options we have down the wing, we could play Bergwijn on one side and Lucas on the other. I think we've done that um, at the end of last season when we played Man United, and we played a four four two and, and enabled that to happen. So we, we have so many options. I mean that that is the crazy thing about this season. You talked about Mourinho not really knowing his best eleven. If whatever formation he wants to pick, he's got a number of choices. 
And it, because of the opponents that we have, we have to kind of base things on that. We know Newcastle right now are pretty limited. I think that's safe to say. So it's, uh, you know, what do we want to do to make life as difficult for them as possible? And that, that may well be Vinicius in, in this game. But you, looking forward, I, I, it's just it's just nice to know that we do still have options. The injuries haven't really touched us this season, apart from maybe Lo Celso. And so we, 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 we've got... We've got options and we, we can do something with it. And if it's Vinicius, then great. But all I want to see more than anything is, is that it works. I don't really care who is in the 11, as long as the 11 produce something that I think is is based on more than just individual talent, that the players can actually work together and, and, and look to be something more than the sum of their parts. Absolutely. And I think that's, like I always say, obviously it's it's not good watching Spurs win or watching Spurs lose. But when you do go out and lose, when you have been in the wretched runs of form that you've had this season, there's a way to lose. You know, and it's not like we did in Zagreb. But I think that is something that Jose and and Larice have touched on in their respective interviews this week in terms of the the attitude of the players, the the kind of fight, the desire, the passion that you want to see from uh, from those players wearing that jersey. And Brian, I think that brings us nicely onto onto the lineup that Jose Mourinho chose yesterday. And one of the key one of the key things was that defense. It was Tanganga and right back, a centre back pairing of Davinson Sanchez and Joe Roden, and then Sergio Regalan uh, playing on that out in that left. We as fans have been calling for a while to see the Tanganga and Roden get their start uh, in that team, and they got it together. What kind of a statement do you think Jose was making to the likes of uh, Matt Doherty, Eric Dyer? And I'm going to leave Oliver and Aurier out of it for now because apparently they're they're ill. But what kind of statement do you think Jose was making with that defensive selection? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to use the quotation marks for ill. That's yeah. like um, that's a very very easy thing to say. Um, every, like you said, everyone has been calling for Rodon and Tanganga. Now the thing with Tanganga, I think this kid is a superstar. I think this kid really is the real deal. Um, I still don't see how Jose sees him as a right back. I think he's a centre back. But if yeah. Jose sees him as a right back, who am I to uh, to argue? Um, so having him there, and I'm very surprised we didn't actually start with him against Arsenal. Because I thought if you're going to have some power and pace, Tanganga can match you for it. Um, he was astronomical. And seeing that lineup, when I saw it, I was so happy to see it. Um, I thought I thought Toby would be playing uh, instead of Sanchez, but we'll come on to that later and how I thought Sanchez did. But I've been very impressed with Rodon as well. Yes, he made a mistake against uh, Liverpool. Yes, he made a mistake against Chelsea on his debut. But he's a kid. You don't mm-hmm. learn. You don't get to learn these things unless you make these mistakes. And the great thing I've seen about Rodon is he's quick, he's very, very vocal, and he's like Dawson. He puts his body on the line. He just loves, loves defending. Um, and I thought they were both sens- they were literally sensational yesterday. And again, let's just hope we get to see more of it. The big question is why did it take this long to see it? Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing, and I, I think a lot of it for me does come back to. Jose not wanting to make the the big important decisions because it with him a lot of the time it is he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't you know right. he could have made a picked a, a really strong lineup yesterday if we lost it was his fault for not playing Tanganga and Roden but if he played that lineup and we lost it was his fault for playing players who haven't played too often yep. this season it's always going to be like that for Jose and uh, one of the points uh, one of the quotes that he had after the game he said we need kids on the bench that live a dream kids that if you play them for 10 seconds they play them like the last seconds of their career I need people on the pitch that I know the match is really important for them Tanganga and Roden are these players again a, a lot of what he said in the last week or so has been it seems some sort of dig at uh, the likes of you know, I, I, we, we don't know the players, but you'd imagine it's the likes of you know, Deli Ali, Musa Sissoko, maybe even Eric Dyer and Sergio Aurier, who we haven't really seen much since the, the penalty against Leicester and him storming out of the stadium um, against uh, Liverpool as well. But, Fenn, 
you often look at things like this and you you want your manager to there's two routes they can go with and one picking the best 11 to go on the pitch and two is picking the players that I'm not going to say personally he prefers but the ones that uh it's it's more than their ability it comes down to their their attitude the the effect they have on their team and stuff like that do you think Jose has now taken a, a little shift from pick the best players to pick the ones that will even though they may be lacking in the quality will play better in that pitch or will put more into their game well, I think that was a turning point last night. And I think he needed to do that because if he would have come out with the uh, same starting lineup, I don't think we would have won that game. And uh, when he came out with that lineup, although it was very controversial, very much respect Roden and Tanganga for coming in there. Both brilliant and played really well together. And this shows that Mourinho isn't scared. And he isn't scared to bring these, these youngsters in to try and perform. And we haven't really seen that before from Mourinho. We saw what uh, he got with Roden. He barely got five games. Tanganga, very limited as well. And I think Tanganga is a better option than Matt Doherty. You look at it, he's putting his body on the line for every single shot. He reminds me of Davidson Sanchez. He's there for the team. And the same with Joe Roden. As uh, Brian just said, very vocal centre-back and seems very confident at the back. And uh, I think that's what Spurs need. So with Jose Mourinho um, talking about youngsters, I think that that's great. And the fact that on the bench yesterday we had so many youngsters shows that he has a lot more respect for them than the people that are trying to disrespect him that weren't in the starting lineup. We could talk about Toby or Aurier. So, yeah, I think he's turned a corner with that personally. Yeah, and look at the... That whole talk of him, you know, calling out these players and stuff like that is something that um, we will be talking about for, for quite a while. And Jose, I think, interestingly said he didn't actually listen to Hugo Lloris' interview after the game against Dinamo Zagreb, which I, I personally wouldn't believe, to be honest. I think when and something like that, something so damning, something so strong is said by one of your players. I think the the gaffer really, really does have to have to listen to that. And again, one of the quotes after the um, the Villa game, he said, they were a team, they fought together, they put in the game that honest, that dignity uh, that football players should put in every match. HG, do you think he is alienating players from this team or do you think he's purely rewarding the players who are giving everything for the badge? I think Mourinho's first objective is always to protect Mourinho, if I'm honest. Um, look, he came out and said some lovely things about the, the, the youngsters that started the game against Eston Villa, about how they, you know, they want to play for the shirt and they dream. Well, those guys have been fit all season, Jose. So why now? This is what I, this is what I don't get. It's very very convenient for him to come out and say, oh, "Look, we've won the game two 0 These players they were really eager to play, and they're they're Tottenham through and through, and they they want to show what they can do. They've been there all season, so like it, it, it's it's very much Jose centric. It wouldn't surprise me that you know if Hugo's come out and thought, well, th- th- this is the this is the option that I need to do. Jose wants me to do it as captain to come out and say these things because Jose's blamed every other player now. So what can he do? He can kind of decide that there's going to be some sort of scapegoat that none of us really know who it is. Um, so we, we stop focusing on the fact that we'd lost against Arsenal, we'd lost against Zagreb in terrible ways. Suddenly mm-hmm. all the fans were discussing who who could the snake be? So like I, I understand that you know that's his job. Don't get me wrong. That is part of Mourinho's job. He has to keep everyone uh, off the team, in effect. Like focus on individuals, focus on Delhi, focus on Dombele last season. It's never Jose that we want to be talking about. But sadly, you, you look at you look at the success that this team had. I mean, they, they weren't great, but they were good enough to beat Aston Villa, I think, quite comfortably. But yeah, are, are they really the future, or is it just Jose trying to protect himself somehow? It, it, it's mm-hmm. it's really quite strange. I, I know that managers have done it in the past. But Mourinho has a, a huge amount of form for this. 
It's all about protecting Mourinho before anything else. And if the team wins, then great, he'll, he'll, he'll give the team credit. But if the team loses, he's not going to take any blame himself. It's always to do with players making individual mistakes. Whereas we can sit here as fans and think, well, I'm not being funny, Jose, but Dyer and Sanchez don't work well together. Winks and Sissoko don't work well together. And yet he started all four of them in Zagreb. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's weird with Jose. Like I, I want to believe what comes out of his mouth, but frankly, I don't. Yeah, and I think the... Like, like I said, every discussion with Spurs at the moment is going to come back to Jose. And it's interesting you make the point about him uh, trying to protect himself because I saw a comment on, on Twitter the other week that said, you know, Jose should walk away from Spurs because he's not going to be successful in this team. He's not going to get the, the money that he wants. And I saw a reply to it saying, uh, if he did that, it would be purely to protect his reputation and, and not, you know, bring this, not be sacked by Spurs, I suppose, without winning a trophy. And I was kind of thinking, if he walked away now, that would be the biggest damage he could do to his reputation. He's going to have to try and save face here at Spurs. And there, there are two ways he can do that. One is like he always does pass the blame on to everybody else. Or two is to go out and win trophies and actually be successful at this football club. And if you're looking at it now, which one of those is is going to be more likely? Perhaps it will be going down the route of uh, you know calling out the players, saying it's the, the players' fault, the board's fault and all that. And he, he did make a bit of a point about the board as well when he said, um, there's the kind of uh, agents and outside influences affecting the dressing room at the moment. And one of the quotes he said was, uh, to develop the spirit that we need, I cannot do it alone. I have to do it with my club. So again, he's kind of publicly calling on Daniel Levy there to come out and, and back him in, in the transfer window. And look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I want I want Jose to leave because I still, uh, a part of me, whether it's, it's hope more than any bit of logic, thinks he can be successful at Spurs. But we can't deny that the the, the red uh, red warning signs are are blaring right now, and he is in some way trying to protect himself more than the, the squad that he's with. And it, it, look, it's a very different situation to Pochettino. We're always going to have that element of it's you know going from one extreme to the other. So a lot of that will be questioned. But I think from our point of view, we're entitled to whatever opinion we want to have. But from inside that camp, these footballers are in football to be successful, and they have one of the most successful managers coming in to try and help them do that. Who are they to question him? Is the way I look at that. But look, Brian, one player who has been getting a lot of criticism. I know it's somebody you want to talk on, and, and that's Davinson Sanchez, who was who was quite decent yesterday. Quite decent. <laughs> I, I think standing. I honestly think he was outstanding. The reason is, don't get me wrong, I'm one of the first people to criticise him this season because he's a mistake waiting to happen. He really has been. Um, but I've liked him a lot of times. That He plays better when he's with Toby. And it's kind of like, like I said earlier, with the Dawson and King. Dawson was a great defender, but without King, he wasn't as good. And that partnership, because King could see him through the game. And yesterday, when I saw there was no Toby, and I saw and I recognised that Sanchez was the most established uh, Premier League defender, the most established international, I was a little bit concerned, thinking, OK, is he going to be able to hold it together? He had a couple of shaky moments at the beginning, like any player can do. But the more the game grew on, he got stronger and stronger and better and better. And some of the tackles he made and some were like sliding tackles he timed them perfectly and the thing is we, we all have players that immediately get scapegoated for a bad bad mistake obviously Sanchez didn't do himself any favours with the Manchester City one and that uh, as I've called it the Del Boy through the bar incident um, in only falls and horses when he did that face plant um, but well, since that game he, he has been outstanding I, I really think he has come on and it, it's it's I, I want to say that he's been outstanding because he's been so poor and he's now performing that well. It's not been uh, an easy road for him to get, especially with uh, social media being on his back and uh, everything. I think yesterday he was incredible. 
Yeah, and look, like you said, there's all those players that are going to be scapegoated. And I feel like Davinson Sanchez is the player who could have 15 incredible performances in a row. But as soon as he has one bad performance, everyone is saying, you know, why is he being played? Sell him, this, that, and the other thing. But credit where it's due, he's formed in the last maybe month, month and a half, a really good partnership with Toby Alderweireld. And yesterday in his in Alderweireld's absence, for whatever reason that was, I think he did stand up to... To the, to the call. As you said, the most experienced Premier League defender back there. He, I think earlier on in the game, he did kind of, he was a bit exposed with Tanganga being really advanced down that right-hand side. And I think we do have to, as much as we did praise Tanganga, we have to recognise that his positional awareness isn't going to always be uh, at the highest level because he doesn't play very often and he's not, I don't think, a natural right-back. But as, as the game kind of progressed, Sanchez, in between two very inexperienced players, I think, uh, did take that defence by the scruff of the neck. And look, Rodan was commanding as well, but I think Sanchez does deserve uh, credit for that yesterday. Uh, Fen, one, one thing I want to ask you is about um, Harry Kane, who has you know picked up a knock in the last couple of weeks. He's looking tired. He wasn't at his best yesterday. Were you surprised that, that he played that 90 minutes and, and Jose didn't take him off at all? I was more shocked that he started midweek on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day... I think he can play that 90 minutes, but it's not going to be his best 90 minutes. And although I don't think it was his best 90 minutes, he certainly put in a performance that was worthy of starting um, starting yesterday. So I think we can say that his injuries are affecting him because I do believe his injuries are affecting him. And that's going to happen because he's getting older now. But at the end of the day, he, he's our best player. And even if he's at 50-60%, I think he is still going to be better than, um, let's say, Bergvine trying to play 90% up front. I think that's that's pretty simple. So mm-hmm. although his match fitness wasn't great, I think he still had a worthy performance last night. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree with you there. And just uh, you know, keep coming back to the numbers. Joint top scorer in the Premier League with 17, top assister with 13. It has been an incredible season incredible season by Harry Kane even by his uh, really high standards and for me the biggest praise he's gotten is Alan Shearer talking and he was a bit worried about his Premier League goal scoring record but that'll all come down to, to whether or not uh, Kane stays at Spurs which is a, a conversation for another day uh, but HG one player who, who split opinion yesterday in what was his first start uh, since coming back from injury uh, in, in December was, was Giovanni Lo Celso what did you make of, of his uh, performance yesterday? Well he's not a right winger so why was he playing there would be the first thing um, I love Lo Celso I think there's something about him. I think that if you're looking for central midfielders that can do a bit of everything, he's the best one. He can pass, he can run with the ball, he likes to tackle, he's not scared of putting himself about it despite not being the biggest guy. Um, I love Lacelso, but let's be honest, he's not a right winger. There were plenty of times during the game where he and Hoiberg or he and Tanganga didn't really know who was covering who. He doesn't have that real defensive instinct to track runners. And I think that's a big problem in our in our midfielders. We don't really have midfielders that like to track runners. I don't think Heiberg enjoys it. He wants to have the play in front of him all the time. And so, look, Lacelso, yeah, we all want to see Heiberg, Lacelso, and Dombele play with each other in a midfield three. But I don't need Lacelso to be the Paul Scholes who shunted out to one side in the hope that he can do something from there. He always wants to move inside. That's where that's where he wants the ball. He's better on the ball than anything else. So it was only an hour. Um, I, I'd like to think that he's going to get more chances. But again, we've got 10 games left and lots of players. He, he may not, but I, I don't think that we can really judge Lo Celso based on the hour he got last night because it wasn't his position. It just isn't, it isn't where he's best. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think kind of earlier in the season, me and and David, who's of course regular on this channel, were kind of talking about maybe getting him out there just to get him into that team. But it's it's not the first time he's played there, and he hasn't looked too comfortable, I suppose, out there. And you mentioned that midfield trio. I think there was a point yesterday in that game where uh, Lasalso and Damali are kind of flicking the ball between between each other down the left hand side, and it was a, a really strange moment for me looking at them both being on a football pitch together because uh, as long as they've been at the at the club, it hasn't really happened uh, too often, which is a a really strange thing. Do you know, it's funny, like I, I live in Austria and I, I managed to wangle a ticket for the game in Linz when we played Lask and I got to stand in the in the stadium and watch it and the, the three of them started that game. And so I was super excited to see what they were going to do. And they were pretty ordinary that night too. Lask were, mm. were just the better team that evening. I think that the three of them need to figure out how they want to work together. Because I think to, if you take all their attributes, it's a fantastic midfield, but one of them has to be a bit further forward. And if the Silso is not getting the ball, he's going to drop deep to, to try and get it. And then he's going to get in in, in the way of, of Hoiberg and Dombele. I think we saw that with, with Lamella and Eriksson trying to play together, is that they were kind of in the same areas. And I don't think it's any surprise that Lamella looks better now that Eriksson is gone. He, play, he gets to play more central and there's fewer players around him. So it's it's a tough one. But, you know, if, if you're going to play Lo down the right-hand side, it has to be almost in, in the way that Everton use um, James Rodriguez as kind of like he, he's, he's, he's a quarterback down the side. You don't expect him to do much defensive work, although he will get involved. But he, he he's, a, he's an extra passer. He's an extra person further up the pitch that can keep the ball and hopefully you can progress it that way. That's a really interesting point that you make about uh, the kind of Lamella and Eriksson uh, getting each other's way, but I, I fully agree with you on that one. And with that midfield, some things just look better on paper than they than they do on the pitch. And we're seeing uh, quite a bit of that with Spurs this season. But um, Will Stewart here coming in with the, the $5 Super Chat. Will, thank you very much for that. You're an absolute legend. Uh, says, with two weeks of semi-rest for most of the squad, do you see us coming out with even more energy for Newcastle? Uh, Brian, I'll throw this one to you because you look at Son, who has, of course, pulled out the South Korea squad. Uh, you've Sergio Regalan picking up a little knock. I don't know if he's even been chosen for Spain, but if he has, you'd imagine they'll uh, be a bit cautious with him there. Do you think this win going into the international break to boost that mood and then going into a game against a team who are really struggling could be a, a really good platform for, for Spurs to push on for the rest of the season? It, it, it could be a fantastic platform, but uh, always, I don't know why, but always Newcastle away. We're, we, we have such bad performances there. It's such a... Such a bogey team to go to. I mean, nothing will sum it up more than that 5-1 when we came third in a two-horse race. Um, what a bad day. That season, I mean, that that was, that was awful. I can remember just listening to Sky Sports uh, News, watching, listening to Soccer Saturday or Sunday because it was last day of the season, tidying up the uh, the flat I lived in with my wife. And by the end of that game, the flat was messier than when I should have began because I was just <laughs> chucking everything all over the, all over the flat. Um Technically, yeah. I mean, it all depends. A lot depends on how uh, Southgate uses Kane. I mean, I don't know why. Is it, we've got San Mourinho and uh, I don't even know the other two games we've got. He should not be playing the full 90 minutes, especially after playing 120 in uh, Croatia against Zagreb. The full 90 minutes now. He, he always picks up. He's had his injury already this season. He has to be wrapped up in Cotton Wall. He is vital for the top four, whether he's playing, dropping deep, he is oh, just, yeah. he's just the, the linchpin to, to everything. So, some being back is huge. Um, and as I said, I mean, the greatest thing I could take out of Thursday, the only positive that came out of Thursday is we don't play any more football on Thursdays. So, having that <laughs> extra, having that extra bit of time, I think it is a, a great platform for us to have. And everything is, the stars are lining up and that's what worries me. 
when you've been a Tottenham <laughs> fan and the stars start to line up, you're like, okay, this is this has been too easy. This is looking too obvious. Um, but the, put it this way, it, it, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna be a, a welcome boost to have two weeks where hopefully not everyone's playing all internationals. They come back for the final push. We got we got a cup final to look forward to, and we're three points off top four. If someone said that to you at the beginning of the season, you would have bitten your hands off. Oh, without, without a shadow of a doubt, and especially two or three months ago. And look, it's I think look, we'll touch on that a bit more later when we when we touch on the form table. But it's just the the absolute bizarre season that we're having at Spurs and in the Premier League in, in, as a whole. But uh, Fen, just to follow on from one of the points Brian made there about not having Thursday night football. As much as we would like to have uh, progressed in that Europa League, and look, I feel as though it was a competition that maybe with a bit of luck we we could have won, but. Without those games on a on a Thursday evening, now the squad gets a little bit of a more rest. Uh, we you know, only three points off that top four. Do you think maybe it's a blessing in disguise that we can properly focus on that Premier League and making a real push at getting into those Champions League spots? I think it could be, but at the same time, I think for me, I would have loved to have gone in the Europa League because I think winning the Europa League means that there's less pressure on Mourinho for this season as a whole because. As we, as we say, I, I'm not too sure we're going to be able to win this cup final. I'm praying on it and I'm begging on that we do. Because if we don't get top four and we don't win the trophy, how much longer is Mourinho going to be here for? Now, I want the best for Mourinho and I want him to do well at Spurs. But if he can't do that, then I'm not sure really what he's going to be able to bring. So it could be a blessing in disguise. And it's only one game a week, as someone's literally just put in the live chat there. So, yeah, it could be a blessing in disguise. And it means that we can play our, um, our best team for every single Premier League game. Absolutely, and that's the that's the biggest bonus because you talk about when when Jose does like to put so much emphasis on success in in the Europa League, in the Premier League, and at the time when we had the uh, the FA Cup as well. When you have so many of your your best players playing all those games, it, it becomes tiring for them, and you're going to have natural injuries. Um, and look again, as we we do like to say, we do have a lot of options at times where those options, when we wanted that at the absolute peak, are, are kind of slim. So some players there who have uh, incredibly underperformed this season, but HG. It's been a long time now as Spurs fans where we've always asked the question, would you take an FA Cup or would you take a, a finish in the top four? And the, the pendulum always swings either way. You know, it's okay, uh, Champions League for progress, FA Cup to have a trophy. We're in a situation now where the, that FA Cup has become a Carabao Cup. And it's not just any game, it's a game against one of the best teams that have ever played in English football. The consistency from City, the incredible strength and power they have in that team. If someone said to you right now, it was your decision, Spurs either beat City in that Carabao Cup final or we go and finish in the top four and get in the Champions League next season, which would you pick and why? Uh, I don't know if this is going to be popular or not. Um, I would pick top four, frankly. I think that, that that's the kind of club we want to be. A League Cup, it, it's a nice day out. We can break, you know, have some bragging rights for I don't know how long a, a League Cup is really worth for a club like Spurs. Of course, I'd like both. But if you ask me to pick one, I want top four. I, I want Champions League football. I want us to 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 play against the best. That's the, that's the way we're going to improve. I, I understand that our squad might struggle in the Champions League right now. But, uh, yeah, look, Chelsea have got extra games to play this season. Leicester is still in the FA Cup. They'll have a few extra games. It's definitely possible. So I think if you ask me, I'll take top four. John, I I would be inclined to agree with you. And one of the main reasons for that, um, and it it seems a bit of a a trivial thing in in the grand scheme of things, but when Harry Kane said he'll stay at Spurs as long as the club is progressing, and I think a player of his calibre two years out of the Champions League is um is a big thing that could perhaps sway him to towards leaving Tottenham Hotspur. But look again, a conversation for another day, and one that I'm sure a lot of Spurs fans will have coming up to the uh, to the summer transfer window. But look, Brian, we, we've touched on it quite a bit now, and I, I want to dive into this one: the the Premier League form table. Uh, for yep. those who haven't seen it, the the last five Premier League form tables, Spurs are top of it. 
And look, those some of those wins were against Burnley Palace and Fulham, and the other one against the Villa side that we do have a, a very good recent history against. Brian, the question I want to put to you is, yes, things have been bad in the last week or so for Spurs, but do you think everything seems a lot worse than it is because of the two games that those defeats came in. Do you think it was the two games we needed to win that we lost and we won everyone around it? Or do you think this is actually genuinely starting to show the problems that we have at our club? It's one billion, one billion percent. The, the, the two games, the, especially the, the Arsenal game and who, what they are to us. And then the manner of the response we got from that game in, in, in Zagreb, which was quite frankly, and I've, I'm 41 years old now, I can't remember watching a worse game of football as a, as a Spurs fan than what I had to witness Thursday. Um, top of the form table is is great, especially at this time of the, the season, but it, it really does mean nothing. I think it's really, really been... It's standing out because of the two fixtures. People are like, are you kidding me? Um, like I said, it's only against Burnley, Palace, Villa, but you can only beat the teams you play in front of you. That <laughs> Football's easy. You beat the team that are in front of you, you score more goals, you win. Um so the form table is great, and it's coming to the point, as you were just saying with the last question, I don't know why I've just got the strangest feeling that that Spurs-Leicester game, last game of the season, is going to be like all those years ago when Peter Crouch scored that goal against Manchester City. And I've got it set in my head that that game is going to be Champions League win or bust. Um, but yeah, the form table is great. Like I said, we've got our bogey team Newcastle next. Let's see what that form table says. If we get seven points out of the next nine, out of the next, seven points out of the next nine, which is, I think, what we got. We got Newcastle United, and there's another team I can't remember. Everton, I believe. Everton, yeah. So if we could take seven points out of nine there, especially with New uh, Manchester United and Everton being around there with us, then obviously that form table is going to look a lot better. The league table is going to look a lot better. And we'll all be smiling a hell of a lot more than we are right now. Absolutely. Fully agree with you there. And look, as far as fans are a fickle bunch, you know, a a little bit of a bad week could put us into Belltown as it did last week. But uh, three, four wins in the bounce could have us straight back in the the best mood that we've ever been in. And that is just the the manner of the season, I suppose, on top of the fact that that is how Spurs fans are. And I've been saying it since probably since December, January, that there's a lot of teams in this race for top four. And I don't think it's going to come down to quality or you know, the manager at the club or, or the best players. It's going to simply come down to which team can run, can put together a good run of form. And Spurs, to some degree, have had that with four wins in our last five Premier League games. But with uh, a, a difficult enough uh, fixture list coming up after the international break, maybe it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than we thought. But Finn, we're three points outside the top four. There's people calling for a board to walk, for a manager to be sacked, for 99% of our players to to be sold. And look, granted, a lot of them have let us down this season, but is this season actually as bad as we think it is? I don't think it is as bad as we're making it out to be. But at the same time, I think the response that we got and the manner that we lost to in the last two games was, quite frankly, just disgraceful. And we looked at it yesterday on the watch along. We had a look at the teams around us and we saw West Ham's run running very, very tricky for West Ham. Leicester's run in is very tricky as well. Although ours is tricky and uh, Liverpool's is quite easy. I think we can sneak in there to this top four. And with the top four, that's a successful season for Mourinho, especially with the squad that he's got and with the players that's happened um, and with the players that we've got and what's happened this season, then I'm going to take top four and run. So I don't think it's as bad as people are making out, but at the same time, we need to carry on this form. And as you said, a good run of form could get us into that top four. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree with you there on that one. And uh, HC, I'm going to put a, a bit of a difficult question to you, if <laughs> if any of these haven't been uh, difficult yet. But I've been saying for for a while that this season now isn't about it's not, it's not about succeeding. It's not about being the uh, like since it, it really kind of went bad. It's not about succeeding. It's not about trying to get the best out of it. It's about making it worth it. You know, we want to kind of redeem the season to some extent because no one's ever going to look back on this year uh, as a as a particularly good season for Spurs. If we got a Carabao Cup and finish in the top four. Would you deem that, in hindsight, as a successful season? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. If we win the if we win the League Cup and we finish top four, you could say that's the best season we've had in in, in what years because we won something. Um, sure. I, I, I don't. I, I'd like to think it's going to happen, but it, it's just it's just weird. Like the, the thing with Spurs this season is that you know we've had plenty of seasons in the last ten years where we've been there or thereabouts for top four. Um, going into the last 10 games of the season, we've been thinking this is going to happen. We might do it. Um, 10 years ago, it was Arsenal. It was always stopping us from making the top four. But still, it was that that's where we are now. The, the issue with this season is that I think for most fans, we've looked at the squad that we have. We've looked at the players that we've got. And we think deep down that we haven't done as well as we should have. Whether it's playing defensive football or attacking football or whatever, we think, I think a lot of Spurs fans think, that Spurs should be higher than where they are. They should have got better results. They shouldn't have drawn those games that we did at the start of the season. We should have tried to you know, outscore opponents rather than hang on to, to 1-0 leads. There are so many things that deep down every single Spurs fan thinks this was an obvious mistake and we kept on getting punished for it because we kept on doing it. So I think that's the most frustrating thing about this season is that we all know that really we could be where Man United are. We could be where Leicester are. We could be, we should be in those positions where other teams are trying to chase us. It's unfortunate that we're in a situation now where you know we, we are looking at other teams' results and, and not just focusing on our own. It's, it, it's not in our hands right now. Yeah, and that's look, that's the that's the most worrying thing. You know, we 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 have in a way I suppose become accustomed to it, even though it was a, a short period of time where we were that we were a Champions League side, we were a top four side, it, it's quite easy to get kinda to become suited to, to that sort of thing. And I think it's good that we're in a position where the fans are demanding more and where the players are demanding more because for so long there we were a team who were happy to be in the Europa League. You know, we were happy to get to a League Cup semi-final and FA Cup quarter-final, have a you know a bit of a run then and and just get back into uh, European football. But now we demand more, we want more. And I think Spurs are we're, we're in a very important position now where we're on the brink of potentially taking off and you know becoming that sort of team. If we win a trophy or two, that, that hunger that comes in the players is gonna is gonna grow and it's gonna grow. But if this whole Mourinho thing goes bust, we I think we have a danger of becoming an Aston Villa. Because before that game uh, on Sunday. I did a podcast with a Villa fan and he was saying for like, he's uh, in his forties now and for a lot of his life, he remembers uh, Spurs and Villa kind of being on par. And like when, when we made that Champions League in 2012, Villa were one of the teams pushing for that, but they, we, they reached that point where it could have been make or break for them and they fell and they ended up down in the championship. And I think we're in such an important position now, uh, such an important moment where we kind of have to decide where we're going. And a lot of that is down to Daniel Levy. A lot of that is down to the board and, and putting the money in the team, as Jose Mourinho has been calling for. Um, we have a super chat here from Dark Sung G with the 5,000 South Korean one. says, since the year ends in one, I think that's why we will get the Carabao Cup. Next year ends in two, so we will get two trophies. Uh, please go transfer window uh, in summer. But look, if that's the way it works, if in, if in nine years' time we're winning nine trophies, uh, I think I'll, I'll absolutely enjoy that. But guys, before we do finish up, I want, in a word, yes or no, uh, are we going to win the, the Carabao Cup? Brian? Yes. Finn? Yes. HG. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, Mourinho is a big game manager. This is to be the biggest game he has at Spurs. No, City will beat us quite comfortably, probably, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, look, I'll be honest, I agree with you on that one. I think uh, I think that's uh, City's game to lose. As much as I would like us to win it, of course, um, I don't think it is going to be uh, very, very likely. But Derek G, thank you very much uh, for that super chat. Um, look, guys, I do want to say to the three of you for joining me, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed this podcast. There's been uh, just one short of 2,000 people joining us uh, throughout this as well, which is uh, uh, an incredible number. So thank you to everyone to, who has watched. Do make sure to drop a like in the stream and subscribe to the channel uh, if you haven't already for more of these uh, podcasts, Tottenham Watch Alongs, which at the moment are taking off uh, previews of views in any type of, of Spurs content. But before we do go, uh, we're going to take a little run around the room. And we- Can you guys hear me? Now I can, yeah. Uh, now you can. Yeah. You, you, yes, you went out for a second. Oh, I do apologize for that. I was just saying, uh, if you want to uh, plug your socials there, Brian, if you want to get started. Yeah, good. thanks for, for letting us do the plug. We're a brand new YouTube channel called Tottenham Away. We did start a, uh, a podcast to begin with on Spotify and Apple Music. And our social medias on Twitter and Instagram are Tottenham underscore away, as you can see on, uh, on my name. And for youtube and facebook it's tottenham away basically we have a, a monday live podcast where we have a different guest uh, every single week for a spurs fan from around the world last week we had the pleasure of having uh, the actor brandon v dixon who's been on we are tottenham tv a few times been on the hit show uh, netflix show power and today we had the pleasure of having uh, the voice of spurs tv a close friend of mine daniel Wynn. And we're just looking to get more and more Spurs people from around the world to come and join us. Uh, so please check us out. Absolutely. Highly recommend to everybody to, to go over and check out everything that Brian has just mentioned. Uh, Fen, let us know where we can find you. Yeah, so my uh, it's my YouTube is just everything football. It's a bit different. It's uh, reacting to all different sports around the world, but it's from a soccer fan point of view. So if you are from around the globe, and I know loads of you guys are, come and check out my channel. I'm going to be reacting there tonight. So uh, video up in about half an hour. So come and go and check it out. Everybody, make sure you're the first person in those comment section uh, on Fen's new video. Uh, HG as well, let us know where we can find you and the Cheese Room podcast on, on social media. Yeah, so obviously the Cheese Room podcast, the clue is in the name, uh, it's a podcast. Um, we do two a week, usually after both games. That might be different now, we don't have a midweek game. But um, I think this week we did an interview with Sandro, the ex-Spurs player. Um, so that will be out in the next few days, I would imagine. I didn't do the interview, but I know we've done one. Um, and yeah, that, that's what we are. We've got a Facebook presence, we're on Twitter. We, we do everything that I think everyone else does. Um, we are slightly different in the fact that we are, we are Brits kind of based around the world. Uh, I live in Austria. There's a guy, Brendan, who's in Brazil. Um, and we obviously, we got the guys in London who go to the games when, when they can and everything else. So it's we, we, we do those things. And we like to think that we're good and we want you to come and join us. So uh, I think all Spurs podcasts are good in various ways. And uh, yeah, it's good to see the people from Tottenham away. It's good to see you, Matt, because I've heard a lot about you. And uh, yeah, the Cheese Room podcast, we're, we're a bunch of middle-aged grumpy men, but we love the Spurs and uh, that, 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 that's kind of our thing. <laughs> Look, absolutely. Again, highly recommend go and check out the Cheese Room podcast. And I was actually talking to Brendan about that uh, interview with Sandra a while ago and it sounds like it was an absolute belter. So everyone make sure to uh, go over and follow them on Twitter so you you, uh, you find out when that uh, interview is uploaded. Um, look, for everyone here again, I just do want to remind you uh, this podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, uh, the UK's only dedicated sport podcast network. So make sure to go and check them out uh, at www.sport-social.co.uk to to find the next show you love or to potentially uh, join the team as well. 
Uh, so thank you very much uh, for them, of course, for taking me on board. If you do want to listen to this podcast, uh, the replay will be up on YouTube and also on your all the uh, top podcast platforms, including Spotify. Uh, so do make sure to, to go and check those out. Thank you now to the numbers risen to 2,300 people uh, who have joined us over the last uh, 47 or so minutes. Thank you to Will Stewart and Derek Sumji, as always, for the Super Chats. Thank you to the panel for joining me. Uh, and as always, come on. And you suppose. Podcast Network.